Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Boozdar, and this week, I sat down with Sean Kasoy, a Philadelphia-born creative who has dedicated himself to being as multifaceted as he can. From designing bicycle frames to now murals all around Portland, Oregon, here's an inside look on what it means to be a modern-day creative. Atlantic, like outside of Philadelphia, um, in a little suburb town called Mount Laurel. And uh, I lived there on the East Coast until I was 18. And then at 18, I didn't get into, into any of the colleges that I wanted to. And my parents had already transitioned and moved to, to, uh, southeast florida like north of miami by about three hours Mm -hmm. and uh i didn't have anything going on i had like no direction i was just like kind of just a kid and um i was like i'll just go to community college and then with some credits transfer into a school Mm -hmm. and then from florida managed to like get into like tinkering with cars and footwear and like skateboarding and had, I'm kind of jumping a lot of stuff though. So you can kind of remind me with some more of the question actually. So I'm not like going off. on Yeah. No, 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 you're fine. I think, um, I mean, let's just pause and reflect on growing up in Philadelphia. What was that like? You know, I grew up in Southern California my whole life. And I think a lot of my, Listeners are going to have a somewhat similar uh, background. So what's uh, Philadelphia like? And what were the kind of the staples of your childhood? Philadelphia, um, uh, growing up outside of that city, you know, really, I would say still to this day, defines a lot of like who I am and what I'm about. Um, Yeah. uh, My friends and I would like either when we were in high school, we would either take the train or someone would drive and we would get to go skate Philly, which was awesome. And I, I'm the youngest of three and I have two older brothers and my one older brother was in college and he was really into the bike messenger scene and skateboarding culture all in Philadelphia. And I just kind of would like admire and go hang out and do whatever it is that my brother would go do. It was kind of like, definitely inspired a lot of the stuff that I did. Yeah. Um, How early did you get into skateboarding and action sports and stuff? When was that something that became a part of your life? Oh, probably when I was like, like skating, it was just like, probably started first with like riding BMX bikes in Mm. the neighborhood and through trails and stuff. Yeah. And then my brother skated all the time. So I was just like constantly around him, like either with like a broken collarbone or like, his ankle was like fucked up or, you know what I mean? Sure. And like, I was like, well, if he's going to go do that. And we grew up skiing and snowboarding. So like, mind you in this time, right. For snowboarding, it was like, for like my age, it was, and my brother's age, definitely. He was in that era where like, it was still not accepted at mountains. Right. 
like you couldn't go anywhere on the East coast. And if you had a snowboard, you couldn't go ride the hill. You had to have skis. Uh, but okay. like, no, that was like the early nineties, I guess you could say, which was like when my brother like started to get into that. Yeah. <clears throat> and then when I was his age, like 10 or 11, you know, we would take trips to go either up into like Vermont or upstate New York or smaller mountains in the, in uh, the Poconos, which is like a range in Pennsylvania. And yeah, I mean, if my brother snowboarded, I wanted to snowboard, you know what I mean? Like, and we would dream about the West coast when it came to like riding. Cause like we grew up when it comes to snowboarding, just like boilerplate special, it's flat, it's cold, it's icy. It's just like shitty conditions, you know? So it's like skating street. You have to just like kind of make do with what it is and have fun with what you got. At least that's how I learned how to, to get into that. And then skating was always like with my friends, we'd either like, yeah, like go to Philly and like cruise around through old city or like go to city hall. And this was the time when the X games and ESPN had a really strong presence in Philadelphia back in like the early two thousands, late nineties time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was cool, you know, just like being just exposed to all that sort of like culture. Um, yeah, my brother like was uh, involved in a, a gallery collective called Space 1026 and like a ton of West Coast artists came out there to like show, have shows. Ed Templeton came out there. And this is like when I was like nine or 10, I would like go visit my brother and I'd have like no idea really who they were at that particular time in my life. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, and just like, yeah, Philly's tight. There's definitely a vibe, and it's stuck with me in a certain sense, in a good way. Sure. That's cool. So uh, your brother had that art collective. So uh, what was that? Do you want to speak on, I mean, what exactly did that look like, and what kind of art were they (laughs) making, and who was coming down? It still exists today, um, I think. I know that there was a struggle with the original space some time ago that the that they lost their lease in Philadelphia, but it's called Space 1026. And it was just this like collective, it was like a whole building. And I remember it distinctively because, you know, it was just like a shared collective art studio in Philly and all different types of artists uh, worked in and out of it. Um, I think someone from San Francisco, like Jeremy Fish, he had a show in there. Um, Definitely the Templetons, um, some Philly locals like uh, Espo. Well, now he's in New York, but he was in Philadelphia. Steve Espo Powers, he would have things that would be in there. Um, and just like, I'm just trying to like, there was another partner he had that had a skate shop over there called Minnow. So Metal had a show, like small local Philadelphia artists that are like, kind of coming to my mind right now but the space was distinctive because i remember that's like the first times that i saw like like a screen printing station you know where there was like a pressure washer where screens were getting like washed out you know and like uh-huh. art what did and, that do for you uh, as a kid seeing that did it i mean cool. yeah but for you when you're like nine or ten years old to see that and kind of in a way see what you are kind of doing now right so you're sort of doing an art collective you're making art in a way 
Is that, yeah. do you ever look back and go like, wow, that has such a profound impact on you that you may or may not have been aware of, but it sort of, you know, in a way started a trajectory on the path that you've ended up on. I wouldn't just, I wouldn't say that space 1026 and like that distinct memory, but just like my brother, both of my brothers, not just my oldest brother, were so highly involved in art and like creativity that I was like constantly exposed by that type of stuff. And like, just like sort of the type of subculture that just was, um, always really, I guess, interesting. And it's like, yeah, it's great that now this is what it's like transpired to become because it's like all of those moments with all those days, like we, um, like I went to like a Saturday course at university of the arts. Cause my other brother was studying at university of the arts, you know, he was studying motion graphics and, uh, video game design at the time, but he would come home with like sort of like posturized imagery and just like graphics and all this stuff. And he's showing it to all of me when I'm like a kid. And then I also have my other brother who's like a little bit more like radical, I guess you could say, who was like in skateboarding and like being a bike messenger and art as well, but like screen printing more like hands-on. Yeah. So it's really, yeah. Thinking about it all now, how all of that's, and my dad's a contractor, a builder. And I mm. love to build shit. So it's like, it totally makes sense that now I'm at this point in my life where like I'm painting and doing art as an, in, as an individual creative and working on a collective. It's just like the dream. Incredible. Definitely. When did uh, biking become a uh, part of your life? Oh, uh, bikes and cycling got really, I got introduced to it when I moved to New York city um, to get around the city because of my brother. I like, that's what I was talking about before. I, when I left Philly, I wanted to go to school for film. I wanted to study lighting because mm. I really, I love cinematography. Like probably still, no matter what, whenever you're doing anything, lighting is like crucial, you yeah, know? Definitely. And, uh, I went to snowboard and work like a ski bum season in Colorado. And, and then my brothers were in New York city and they were like, you just moved to New York city. Like the season's done. What are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, you know, bouncing around trying to figure it all back out. And, uh, yeah. So I kind of lost the question. I'm sorry. Oh, just, I mean, how did you get into biking? So it was just from being in New York. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. So when I got to New York, I got a bike from my brother to like get around and then, it didn't really mean much. I was just like kind of into the idea of like the fixed gear, single speed riding, commuting, city riding. And then when I moved to San Francisco is when I kind of got into like the deeper realm of, of bikes, you know, like distances and stuff. Okay. Um, you want to elaborate on that? What does that mean? What is more distance? Like, I'm getting more into it. I would say like when I lived in New York and for a good period of time in the Bay, I used bikes to commute. So it was more like the utilitarian of like to get me from A to B or to like work around and have fun in the city. And then I got a bike to start to see what it'd be like to experience distance and get out of like just doing 20 or 30, you know, miles collectively throughout a day to like doing something where you're on a bike specifically for 40 or 50 miles, you know, and you're just spinning for hours 
Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with, cause I have crazy ADHD and I'm really hyper. And like, that's the thing about the bike is like, when you start to pedal and you get into like that rhythm and the cadence as it's called, uh-huh. you're just like a really good flow. So it allows me to really just focus. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it just like, it just like really clicked and not only, you know, not only that from like an art and design perspective, the machine itself is like, can be a piece of art as well as utilitarian and and purpose built. So it was like, once I, you know, everything started in my life started to like make sense in that realm. I was like, became obsessed with the bike, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause it's like skating or snowboarding or surfing or action sport where you have like the N plus one where like any little slight difference to the machine makes the ride different. You know, like if you're skating and you have an eight and a half with board with like a twinsy style shape versus something that's like asymmetrical and weird, it's going to skate differently. Or if you're like surfing and use like a twin fin versus a single fin, it's going to experience differently. Yeah. And that's what happened to me with the bike. It's like, I went from riding like a single speed commuter and having fun. And now I just got a machine that I can go faster or slower and go for miles in a day. Like, Whoa. You know, how did it It, look at this point when, um, you graduated from high school and you're kind of looking for something to do. So you're going to JC or whatever. Did you find your purpose being, in New York or so you were just jumping around from different cities sort of like, like, so when I was like growing up, like when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, for instance, like this is the type my type of personality. Um, my senior year, I, I didn't necessarily not care, but I just to put no effort into like sort of any sort of academic course. So my like English class or my math classes, I was like a terrible student at them terrible because like when I, you know, I'm applying myself to something I don't want to do and I'm not interested. I'm not, I don't care, you know? Yeah. What were you doing at the time that you were dedicating more of your time and effort to? That's what I was saying. So with skating in Philly, I Uh, was like filming a lot. I was filming, I was shooting photos and in school at high school, I won like a district award for public service announcement for just like driving safely, surprisingly enough. looking back on it today. Yeah. Yeah. And I shot the video, like directed it, edited it, you know, like that was the whole thing. And I get an award and like was involved with like our photo and our art classes in high school where I was like, fine, like crushed it. But the reason I didn't get into any of like, like I didn't get into the school of visual arts in New York was because of my writing. You had to write well to get into their film program. But my, and I didn't really know that about like much of a portfolio when I was in high school, you know, like I didn't know to get into most art colleges. That's what you would necessarily have to have, you know? Yeah. I like going and painting and I was like having fun with my friends and like writing graffiti and like in following my brother's footsteps in that regard, you know, but didn't know that like if I had documented that or like, applied myself even at school in certain classes, I could have gone to an art college earlier in life, but like just didn't know, you yeah. know? Did it, was it, is it frustrating to look back and go, Hey, I should have. Never. No, don't, no regrets. Yeah. All good. I mean, I, I have a lot of regrets later in life, but not at that particular time. 
you know, like all of the decisions for a while. And all the stuff that I did at that time has influenced where I'm at today. Like when I did move south and I was just like going to like a community college with like no direction, like a lot of people. And I got really into modifying cars, which is the same exact thing as riding bikes, you know, like the tinkering. It's like, mm. you get my, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and I custom paint bikes now. And when I was working on cars, I custom, I didn't personally do it, but like three of them all got repainted. One car got repainted like four times. It was stupid how many times it got painted. Yeah. But just that experience and being in that environment, you know, mm-hmm. is like, kind of led me to like a lot of the stuff that I'm, that I do now. Right. You know, totally. Was it cool? And and like you said, regrets, it's like, yeah, it was probably stupid and like kind of lame, but like because of those moments now, now I'm at where I'm at now. Yeah, totally. No, for sure. Is, uh, the whole bike painting and designing frames and different things like that. When did, I guess, did you dive into that and when did it become more of a business and less of a hobby? And how is that whole like, uh, actually it's, you know, it's the same thing I would say with like kind of what the muraling has been happening and like just even the art that I've been making, it's never ever had like an intent, like kind of what you, we talked about earlier with like people like on a business point of view, like I think my practice comes off in a regard that seems less emotional than like art, but like painting bikes was just like, again, like I was in, when I went to art school, I had my bike and my, one of my mentors and one of my good friends was like, um, you should repaint it. You have the whole shop. Like why, why leave it? Like why leave it? You love all this stuff. Like you have the accessibility to all of the tools. Right. And like, why don't you paint the bike? So I painted my own, years ago, you know? And then like friends saw that I could do it. And then it was like, Hey, do you want to like do this part for me? Or like, you know what I mean? It was never like me ever necessarily like searching for people to be like, Hey, can I paint your bike for you? You know, it was always like, yo, I got a park. Do you want to like paint this thing for me? And I'd be like, sweet. That'd be like super fun, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like, and that's what I mean about like a struggle is like, and then it gets to a point where like people do ask you and then you're like, well, shit, how do I handle this? Cause you, you know, you're like, you, you have to balance that. Like you want the, to focus on the art and the work and the process, but then you also want to make a living at it. If you can take your hobby to a career. Right. Yeah. Um, how are so you always- able to like put a price on that? Was that hard in the beginning? Always. And still like, it wasn't hard in the sense of like, cause it's my friend it was always hard because I never understood how to adjust pricing because of like certain things that are consumable. And what I mean is like, if you wanted it painted, I have to use sandpaper. I have to use tape. I have to use clear coat. I have to use primer. I have to use paint, right? Those are consumable goods. Mm -hmm. And those are prices I don't control. Right. Right. So I like I when I tell someone a number, it's like I base most of my validation off of a material cost, and then I validate my time for my effort. And it's like it just depends down on like really what you think. And this is the tricky part again. As we have this discussion, is like I feel like I'm losing the qual the the passion because I'm like focused on like a business side of something. But it's like 
now I have more of like a black and white so that I don't feel confused or undervalued when I'm like charging someone for a bike paint job. You know what I mean? It's like a lot more, I, I have that direction now because I have like the experience to be like, all right, well, it's going to cost me $150 in just my material and it's going to, and you want me to do the project and it's going to take me X number of hours and I'm this much at an hourly rate. And that's where like, you know, again, like the magic of art goes away because now it's like a job. Yeah. And that's really what it's like, what happens over time, over time is like, but painting on the street this past month, right? Mm -hmm. we had this conversation, it's like, when I see people that are like, that's so dope, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm not that great, you know? And then I, I tell you about the stuff that I'm talking about. And like, it's like those experiences and just like, working at it has gotten me to the point of where I'm at now. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Why is the, uh, the first response of someone saying, Oh, that's super dope. Do you initially, is it always like, uh, Oh, it's, it's okay. Or like, I'm, I'm not that great or whatever. Why, why do you think you do that? And is that something that's always been like that? Or have you gotten better at it? Has it changed? I, I think it just depends on, my actual mood at that particular moment. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, but typically I'm always my own worst critic when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Okay. Um, and, and, and it's hard cause you're, you know, and this is the hard part I think for me that I've always struggled with is like, I've always struggled when someone's like, you're an artist, the term, like the title, if I may, Why? I've never felt I don't know because like I'm, I think about things in a very technical fashion, mm, right? Okay. Less emotional. Right. Or so, analytical. Um, yeah. I always think like fabrication or like maker. I don't think artist because I think artists and I think very emotional and I know that I am, but like, you know, so that's where I think my head goes and why my response is usually in that sense because mm. I'm my first critic. Yeah. When someone else may not have any idea what I'm even seeing, you know? Right. Um, but to that point, I've learned now to just start to say, thank you. I say, I thank you. And then I say, it's for you, you know, especially when I'm painting the murals because mm. it's like all of that artwork that we are doing, even though we're having so much fun coming up with the idea and like actually getting out there and doing the project, it is for the people on the street, you know, yeah. and us like, we're so amped to see it come up and we're like, Oh my God, this looks incredible when it's all said and done. And it's also at that moment, it's really tricky to not feel like, um, what's the word? Like a massive ego, you know, like boosting boosting yourself, but it's also like, wait, it's okay to be like, this is pretty cool. You know, like you did do a cool job, like, except that it's cool. (laughs) Yeah. You know, totally. And I think that's just what happens in my head. It's not anything that I can, I'm trying to control, but it's like, yeah. How did that uh, self-image play a role in those early days? I guess when you were, I like to use like transitional periods in people's lives as kind of, uh, I guess, benchmark of emotions during that time. Were you in a place of overly confident, not as confident? Were you, when you were kind of figuring out what you wanted to do, did you have that same amount of, I guess, reaction or emotion about yourself? 
In what sense? Like, what do you mean with like painting murals somewhere or like bike no, project? Like literally or, just you as a person, like how was your self love and how did you view yourself, your own like self image of yourself during that time as opposed to today? Um, I think then I probably had no idea what my self image was. I think I was like trying probably too hard when I was doing all that other stuff with like car stuff and shoe stuff, even, even, but even some paint stuff today, it's like, always feels like I'm trying a little too hard, but I think versus now I'm not, you know, now I'm just like in a present moment, I'm doing what it is I want to do, how I like it. And like having that sort of more confidence versus, um, uh, what's the, uh, versus being sort of, uh, insecure. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that I'm still insecure in certain regards, but I have a lot more confidence when it comes to the execution on projects now, but self image wise, I'd probably say like, yeah, um, over the years, there's probably a lot of insecurity and now I'm a lot more confident and just like not much of my style, I would say, has changed too much over the years. But it's actually it's actually pretty funny. Like there was a period of time, I'm not sure if you remember it, when like Ed Hardy t-shirts were like really popular. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone was like, these douchebag ass t-shirts because this designer, right? Mm-hmm. And I had owned a bunch of them. Cause the, the flash imagery really is fucking cool. Right. Yeah. Well, let's jump literally 10 years later. Right. I'm third. I bought those shirts. Yeah. When I was like 20, 21, now I'm 30, 31. And in San Francisco where Ed Hardy is from a living legend, the De Young museum did a 45 year retrospective on the man's artwork and designs and tattoo. And it's just like his whole life. Right. Mm-hmm. It was incredible how much struggle he had until he was in his 50s or 60s until he sold the licensing rights to his art to that designer was when he was able to like basically have financial security. Isn't that ridiculous? Right. And not only that, it's just like his artwork and like he did this piece that's like there's this material that's on trucks. It's called tarpaulin. And it's like the big trucks they're driving. It's like the plastic. Mm, okay. He did, uh, he took 2000 yards of it. And for the year 2000 in China, it was the year of the dragon. And he loves to draw dragons. He drew over 2000 dragons on a 2000 yard tarpaulin sheet that wow. they hung. Inside. Right. This is Ed Hardy, you know, and like people like hear the name and they comes up to the designer name. And it's funny looking back on it. Right. Cause it's like, when I bought that shirt, I was like insecure and I thought it was cool and whatever. And here I am 10 years later. Now I've got a tattoo by Joey Casina, who was apprenticed by Ed's son, you know, like, like two degrees of separation from Matt Hardy. Yeah. 10 years. No, so awesome. Yeah. Right. It's like, you think about those moments where you're like, man, I was such an idiot when I was at that period in life. But now it's like, I'm so much more secure and confident and just like, yeah, I just try to not get too self-critical on the art when I'm talking to strangers. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. 
Let's talk yeah. about um, like tattooing. When you said uh, Ed Hardy, I I think a part of me does a little bit think of the clothes and stuff that he made, but I think more of like the impact that he had on American traditional tattoos, which are the kind of tattoos that I have all over. Yeah. So I think like that's been such a big influence on not only the art form, but tons of yeah. artists down the line that have all been in, in, influenced by him. You know, I like to think like, you know, Sailor Jerry, but then he also influenced, you know, people like Mark Mahoney, who's like up in Shamrock Tattoo in LA, who influenced people like Dr. Wu, who's like now one of these big tattoo artists. And it's like they do right. different types of arts, but they've all had such a big impact on the art form. Has yeah. like, what is tattooing? How's that impacted your life? And, you know, how's that played a role? Oh, man. I, it's the storytelling you know, and like the symbolism and the visual imagery. Um, I, for me, when I wanted, when I first started to get tattooed, the first tattoo I did was because of my brother. And it was when I turned 18 years old. And I was like, Matthew, I was like, I need to get one done. He's like, you have to go to Old City. You have to go see Marty if you want to do anything Japanese. Because like, I just love the storytelling in that culture. Right. And that's like the same thing with Ed Hardy. It's like, it's all storytelling. Um, yeah. So I like immediately at 18, literally all, like the day after my birthday and I came home and my mom was like, well, Matt, my brother has full sleeves. He was, she was like, I can't get mad. At least you went somewhere safe and you went somewhere that's like a credible artist with like a really true passion, you know? And that's what I mean about that. So how tattooing influenced me was the storytelling. And then just like, I always wanted someone to be able to have like a large canvas in a sense on my body, like go big, go home. Mm -hmm. So I worked with one guy to do my left arm and that was more inspired by Americana and like the symbolism of uh, certain colored roses and like, in certain cultures, what skulls can represent is a, an aspect of protection when they're like placed outside. And it can also, you know, that there's like storytelling behind why you get work. Um, when I was younger, now I want to sort of collage myself or scrapbook. And if I get to travel, like you were mentioning, going to LA and like seeing someone down in LA to getting like a piece from them is something a little bit more that I'd like to do. But originally it was like, my thought was a little different. Sure. What was your original? Like I, uh, most of my tattoos are, I worked with a guy in Oakland named Ian Oliver Wheeler. He at the time was uh, an, a part owner in a shop called, um, Sacred Heart, and then it closed. Now he owns a shop called Apex. But I went to him after the Oni mask, and I was like, I want to do more theater masks. And then, like, with him, it was like he sketched up five or six of them, and then, like, we placed them on my arm. And that's what I mean about how I got tattooed with Ian, where now I want to, and how it inspires me is like when I, you know, like when you go get tattooed and you're talking to the artist. I usually nerd out, you know, I'll talk to him about how I do my processes. So like for him or when I would get worked on, I'd be always be like, Ian, like, what's it like working with? And he's like, I studied illustration. So he's like, using the machine is honestly like using a ballpoint pen, 
You know, he's like, I'm drawing as if I'm using a ballpoint pen. And when he, when we talked about that, that like connection of like the technical side of stuff, I was like, Oh shit, that's super cool. You know? And I felt like just as an artist or like I, if I practiced with a tattoo machine on like whatever, I could probably tattoo. You know what I mean? Sure. Any, have you thought about tattooing? Yeah. And going into it? <laughs> no, 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 no. No? It's Why not? Because uh, I don't want to spend the learning curve of learning that instrument. I don't want to spend the time doing it. Like mm. I have, I would rather spend my time doing processes that I have a, have tinkered with that I can like push and develop further versus trying to learn a complete skill from scratch. That's right. how I think today. Totally. No, no, I get that. What is, yeah, but, uh, not <laughs> I mean, like if someone decided to be like, Hey, Sean, you want to try to give me like a smiley face? I would totally try. Right. Totally. What is the ultimate, like if you're going to have to pick a art form or whatever to go into, are you going to be diving more into mural painting or is it going to be doing like bike frame or more hands-on type of art? Like what is your, what is the pinnacle? What does the mountaintop look for you? Where do you want to, you know, dedicate your time to and try to devote and make a career out of? Art? Well, with, with all of it more so, I would probably say like the muraling has been in, incredibly fun the process has been so fun and organic and it's really difficult for me to choose honestly i would i would like to do like before i was mentioning sculpture um because i've always had like this interest in furniture design and like architecture and now that i'm focusing on like basically massive scale projects that's how i'll coin a general thing like a mural um it would be fun to like be able to like design a sculpture piece and focus just on art and i would love to just like be able to collaborate with more companies and or brands or people like in a general sense so for instance i have a couple projects right now with some bike companies and like I basically get it blue sky when it comes to what the artwork that gets applied to it. And I have, and I, there's one where we're working on, basically I want to build a body of art to inspire the paint job. Right. So I really want everything to start to like blend. I don't want to like only focus on a, a particular skill. I think everything is just elevating because I'm getting the chance to like push my creativity, you know? Right. So ideally it's like, just more so establish my name as an independent artist. But I want to, if we're talking mediums, I want to build some sculpture shit because that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Just like imagining like Zach and I did the, we did the a flower landscape where he, he painted his flowers and his vases. But then I've been doing a lot of like abstract art, sort of like impressionist Matisse style painting. Like just imagining if we could take his flower shape and I like my background in industrial design. So I know how to like 3d model. I know how to fabricate. Yeah. Like we built the flowers, you know, like built built one that's like six feet tall and I know how to finish it. Right. You know, it's like, I want to do something like that. You got me. Yeah, totally. Have you, you know, who causes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So that's sort of right. 
What is yeah. um like modern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that look like? Do you want to be? I don't know. Do you just want to? I guess from a job standpoint, is it sort of always going to be kind of a freelance kind of situation where you're sort of making art for different clients and kind of taking custom orders? Is that what you see as sort of the job? Basically. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you're just a working artist. Right. And like, that's the idea is maybe I do develop like with the gallery, it would be incredible to just like put up a show. Right. Because I am an, an artist, but then if like, like I said, if someone wanted to collaborate, I have that sort of, um, flexibility and, that's the big thing that I learned years ago about myself is like, I would never, I've never been able to fit into corporate culture because I am too resilient because I want to try too much stuff. And those big, big motion systems, you're a little, little tiny wheel in a big system. Yeah. And it's like the muraling, like, you know, when we, we did, when we did that one piece, it was on the, on the side of the Nike store. And like, I, I intentionally chose that store because I personally know a handful of designers that work there. And I can guarantee you first, I can't tell you how many days cause it was boarded up for months that they had so many meetings about putting something on those panels, but no one ever gets to it because it's, they're all sitting there having X number of meetings, but because like I'm not waiting and I'm just like an artist I'm just going to act. You know what I mean? Sure. And we, and, and like we painted Nike and for me, it was like such like a low key, like, thank you. But also like, why aren't you guys doing this already? You know? Yeah. What do you, why are you waiting? You're all half of the designers know how to do the same exact thing that Zach and I know how to do. They just work corporate. Right. And this is the thing when you're like 25, 26, that a lot of, if you get it at that age, that's awesome. But I didn't, you know, and to this day, it's now it's defined me. And it's like, that's cool. I'll never work there. I respect those designers because they work incredibly hard, but I'm not going to fit in. Mm. Mm-hmm. What is, a, uh, well, having a relationship and a dynamic with a client, you are in a way, right, somewhat limiting in what they tell you to do. Do you see yeah. that as just... I mean, it's the nature of the beast. You're going to have that no matter what, but you see that as a less restricted form of expressing yourself and doing the art that you want to do. It's less restrictive, exactly. Because usually if that person's coming to you, you already have a validation, right? It's like dealer's choice. This is what I like to say. It's like, do you want to design it or do you want my take? And it's kind of egotistical and... And I've learned when I'm working with a client or a customer or whatever, I have to be a little bit more flexible. But mm-hmm. typically, most people want whatever it is my brain's going to come up with. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. And that's like, that's the plus side is the having that sort of open communication and just like, I mean, I'm not going to do something that I'm forcing something on someone, but like, you know, because that's the part about me. Like, I'm definitely going to ask them questions to being like, something specific to, that I can make sure that while I'm working on a project, it has that personal feel. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You incorporate something that is unique to your type of art. You're going to always put that into the project. And Yeah. I, 
I did a commission mural recently for someone, just like a painting with like my uh, motif cloud patterning, if I may. And they were like, we love the color palette of the St. John Bridge up here. There's like these, there's like these uh, turquoises and like uh, cool grays. And they were like, if you just want to like try to use those, that would be incredible. Right. And that's not telling me like how to do my pattern or how to do my design. All they said is they like this image of a bridge, you know? Yeah. It's enough inspiration and direction that allows me to like, let me have some creativity so that they can be surprised or whoever's surprised at whatever they're getting, you know? Yeah, totally. How do you um, market yourself as far as like getting more clients and stuff? Is it all word of mouth or do you, you know, I don't, how do you find clients? Everything so far has always been word of mouth. I've posted most of my paintings, honestly, just on Instagram and sold everything via through Instagram or via word of mouth through Instagram. Muraling has just been all word of mouth bike painting. Um, yeah. Bike painting again, it was just like, because it was my friends and word of mouth. I've never like really, really, really actively pursued any of the stuff that I've ever really sold. I've always sort of just tried to actively pursue that job that I'll never fit in for. Like, you know what I mean? Like, applying and interviewing at Nike. Like I've interviewed there three times. One time they flew me up here and I was like, damn, I'm about get, I'm going to get this job working there, you know? Yeah. But didn't get it. And I was like, what the fuck? You right. know, like, it's like, wait, what? Like this doesn't make any sense. So that's what I mean. It's like, as you still go on, it's like a constant thing that you're always figuring it out, figuring it out. And uh, you just start to learn how to, kind of act smarter in certain senses with all that shit. Totally. Is that something that you still want to pursue? Or are you done applying for the Nikes and different companies like that? I haven't applied for a corporate job in nine months or 10 months. Right. Almost a year. And that's kind of the plan going forward. You want to stick to just doing it on your own? I'm not, I'm, I'm confident right now in the certain sense that where things are going, I don't need to like, it's a waste of my, it goes back to what I was saying with the money. It's like a waste of my time and energy and thought to like, continue to think about that shit. It's dumb. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to go anywhere. I respect everything about all that work, but I'm what I'm focused on makes so much more sense. And the logic to me is like clicking, you know? Right. No, so, totally. I get that. Yeah, I learned uh, a lot of like random, not random, but I learned a lot about Bruce Lee. He's like kind of uh, an interesting person if you ever are curious about just like work ethic. Sure. And uh, he has like a quote that's like, you know, be flexible like bamboo, not stiff. Like, don't be stiff like a regular tree trunk. Be flexible like bamboo. I'm sort of butchering it a little bit, but ideally what he's saying is like if you're you know stubborn you're never going to move forward but if you allow yourself to flex and move you'll find this path and things are going to be in life are going to be a lot better and you're not going to feel so much oppression or strain or struggle because you're just like rolling with the flow it's like skating it's like bikes it's like surfing snowboarding it's the same shit it's like Go with it. Don't force it. And when you force it is when shit gets fucked up. Yeah, totally. You know? 
can't tell you how many times like you you try something and like as you're trying it it gets fucked on a bike on a skateboard on snowboard surfboard whatever you know totally what yeah. is uh what are the next couple months like looking for you man are you i mean you have the thing you talked about in the beginning is that sort of the path or are uh, you going to continue to just do murals and street art and kind of go from there um i think right now the trajectory is um so we're waiting on an approval for basically like a week week's worth of muraling but with this guy it could potentially lead to more of that because of the fact that he manages a ton of property spaces so there's just like a lot of things that I feel like that are all these moving parts and I'm going to do my best to not stress my stretch myself too thin over the next say 6 months I have um a project with uh some bike companies that are happening which is super exciting and I get to paint some more bike parts um I'm going to work on that body of work for there's a frame build, a hand building frame show in Boston called Builders Ball, and that's in October. And I possibly may have a project for that one. If not, it may get pushed to another hand built bike show that's in Philly, which would be freaking awesome because it'd be like getting to go home, you know? Yeah, totally. That'd be awesome. And I think that's really with with one company, what we're leaning towards because it would be like such a strong, uh, project, you know, like where I'm from. And then like, he's also doing something really cool. So that's kind of in the pipelines. Um, yeah. And then just kind of like not overthinking it and staying present and riding bikes and, uh, yeah, painting more art and just getting out on the streets and oppressing or making sure to stay actively, as active as possible with as much of said movements that are occurring still here in Portland. I'm working with a company, uh, a group called mobilize the movement. That's like this grassroots uh, people of color gravel cycling crew. And they're like trying to get more people of color on bikes. So I'm doing my best to like enable that because of my influence and like my small connection in the bike world, you know, yeah. And just staying positive, dude. You know, like you said, just like keep the positive messaging up, keep putting out that that type of artwork and making sure that that sort of active positive pressure stays strong. Totally. For sure. I guess uh another question I would ask or one of the last questions would be sort of just I mean, how do you keep your like mental health in check when you're doing all these things and you have so many different introductions that could bring, you know, induce any sort of new stress or anxiety in your life. How do you relax and take a breath and all these things that you said you want to focus on staying positive and focus on, you know, not burning the candle at two ends and different things, you know, and getting overwhelmed. How, what does that look like for you? What's a good practice and what have been sort of your outlets when it comes to relieving stress and keeping yourself centered? 
Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it's why I cycle. It's why I ride, but it's why I ride bikes. Cause it's like that 45 minutes plus time or an hour and a half in the day, it allows my reset so that my brain allows me to focus on tasks at hand. It's like literally the phrase I like to say now is like ride until something clicks. Mm. And, and that's what it allows me to do every single day is like, I cycle. Yeah. At least every single day today, I gotta be honest. I didn't get on the bike cause the weather here has been hit or miss. And yesterday I spent a lot of time kind of tuning my bike back up. So it was that like, you know, you pick your car up from service and everything's perfect and you're really happy. I wasn't about to like ride in the rain <laughs> yeah, today. No, totally. I get that for sure. No, surprisingly enough, the weather is like clearing up as we speak. So maybe I will take some time. But um, a lot of it is like uh, when I'm in process, when it comes to doing the actual work, you know, like I try my best to not get distracted while I'm painting something or like doing the actual process at hand. So that also helps with my mental state and keeping me in check. Uh, I smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, yeah. And like, I used to do Adderall and Ritalin and prescription drugs for my ADHD, but like, I'd rather just have a smoke and calm down and allows me to focus. But truthfully, it's the bike time that 45 minutes plus allows me to really just like think about how I want to handle the week because you're right. It's like, how do I think about muraling? How do I think about painting a bike? How do I, like I upset someone on the internet because of a comment, you know, like there's so much or like whatever, you know? Yeah. Weed, weed doesn't allow me to do that. The bike gives me the time to think about like, I need to think about my priority of my day. You know, and typically it's like I'll ride in the morning or even if I'm riding with Zach, you know, even when I ride with him, like we were, he knows I'm spitting off mentally. But when we're out there together, it's that time that he knows that if we're like climbing up the hill and the hill's really steep, we're not in conversation. You have to focus on climbing, you know, yeah. but when we're down, when we're done is like a moment where I think maybe I'll have like a clarity and I'll be able to like articulate that, that to him. Cause he's like literally next to me, you know? Yeah. Definitely. It's freaking incredible. Sick. Is it cool having, you know, those sort of moments with your, someone who you do artwork with, is it cool to have that moment where, I don't know. I think for a lot of people, you can have a partner that you do creative stuff with, but in those moments when you're like your literal outlet to, not only think about things and sort of, you know, plan and focus, but it's also a stress reliever for you. And I'm, it is for Zach as well. That's cool that you guys connect on that. And then also having, you know, I just imagine both of you climbing up that hill and thinking of something. And then on the way down, you're both like discussing it, you know, it's like that business meeting that people have, it's on bicycles and it's immediately after you relieve your stress and you're having these fresh ideas come to your yeah. head. That must be super rad. It's dude, it's so freaking sick, you know? And it's like, you're just like, it's not even, I can't even really, you know, like used to call it a business meeting, but I'm just like hanging out. We're just like talking as friends, you know, mm. but I, have I gone on a bike ride and there's, it's been like more of a quote unquote business meeting. It's felt like that occasionally, but like, that's not what Zach and I do, you know, like Zach and I, we just go ride, 
you know? Yeah. And that's not, and like, or, or um, most of the time I'm going to, I, that's my favorite part about bikes. It's just like skating and it's just like riding snowboard. You don't have to rely on anyone else to go do it. Right. I can get on my bike and I can just go. And then, and if I can go with a few people that makes it even more fun for me, but it's definitely my time. You know, it's like, I may post about it on the internet and post as I'm riding on the story, but I'm out there by myself in real life. You know what I mean? Like you're not there with me while I'm riding. It's like, it's my time. Yeah. And if I didn't have that with like all of the stuff that's starting to happen now, like I would, I've definitely had moments of panic where I'm like, when am I going to ride the bike this week? Oh shit. You know, like I have to make time. It has to happen. Sure. No, that's cool though. That's, I mean, I think that's important. I think that's such a, healthy and positive outlet to have, to have it be something like that. I think that is it better than, you know, some other ways of relieving stress or thinking things through, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can get aggressive and violent or do really bad drugs, you know, like in, in, in this case, it's like, it's honest. It's just like, yeah, it's a great tool. It's a great machine. And it's, I think that cycling and bikes here in the States in the next like 10 years, we're going to see such a drastic change in the culture because we're so far behind, you know? Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Just like you're going to see more, more people in other places in the globe that are or in the States that are just like have e-bike that are commuting by bike. You're going to see less people in cars. You're going to just, it's just going to be a natural occurrence. Right. It's going to happen. I believe it. Nice. That's awesome. I hope so too. That that seems really cool and positive for sure. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks for sitting down, man. I appreciate, you know, having this conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we got the chance to talk for like this. It was cool. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Double Life. As always, head to thedoublelifepod.com for more information on all my cool guests, including Sean Kasoy. And head over there, check out all the cool work that he's doing. And um, we'll see you guys next week. I appreciate your support. Adios.